management of New Relic here today. We've got uh, Mark Sacklebun, the uh, CFO, and uh, Peter Goldmacher, who recently joined the company as the head of investor relations. So welcome, gentlemen. Um, so maybe just to sort of start off and level set everybody, Mark, I was wondering if you could just, you, you reported earnings uh, results late last week. This was your fiscal year end. Um, just how would you characterize the results? So what are the highlights from your perspective? So uh, I, I think the results were strong. Um, we showed some good momentum coming out of, uh, of what has been a difficult year. And so, uh, you know, coming, coming uh, out of Q4, one of our big targets was to improve the number of 100K customers. That was a goal we set back when Mike Christensen joined the company as the new president and COO back in, in uh, October. Um, we set a goal of getting to the point where we can get 100 new 100K customers a quarter. And, um, you know, we, we bumped that number up in Q4 with a, I should know it, 67, I think it was, um, number, in, which is a nice upswing from, for the rest, of, versus the rest of the year. And the best, best quarter we've had in quite a while. So it's a good, it's a good, uh, good trajectory toward our goal of 100 per quarter. And so that was nice to see. Um, we also see our dollar. We saw our dollar rates expansion rate bump up. Um, we had uh, we poured 116 um, percent for the for Q4, which was the best of the year. That's typically strongest in our Q4 as more and more business is getting aggregated toward the end of our fiscal year. Uh, but but that was good to see. And the other thing we're pleased to see is our customers embracing the full platform. So. You know, historically, we've sold products. Uh, APM has been our core product. We've sold additional products as add-ons. And, you know, more and more the market, we believe, is moving to, to a more of a, of a platform uh, adoption where they want metrics, logs, events, traces. They want all this information, all this data gathered in one spot. And so we want to make that accessible to our customers. And so this past quarter, we had about half of our business coming in in the quarter be customers who had access to our full platform. And so that was, uh, that was an attractive metric for us. That means that for the, for the whole customer base at the end of March, 30% of our customers had access to our full platform. Mm -hmm. And that's up from about 13% a year ago. You know, we're pleased with that, but that's something we want to drive going forward as we go into this year. You know, we, we would love all our customers to have access to our full platform because we think that's where they get the most value. Oh, great. So appreciate the overview. I wanted to drill down on a couple of those a little bit more, but maybe just starting off, you know, the, the topic that is certainly a focus these days is just the impact of COVID-19 on your business. I'm just wondering, are you seeing maybe some potential positives? We've heard about these digital transformations being accelerated. Um, you also talked about maybe some budget constraints um, from customers on the call. I mean, how do you think this is, how is COVID impacting your business and how do you think this shakes out as a sort of a net uh, positive or negative? Yeah, so I, I think, uh, you know, when, when we look back at uh, an, an, in the last quarter, on March 15th, we took a snapshot of where we expected our, our, us to be on March 31st from an upgrade standpoint, you know, a new business standpoint and a churn standpoint. And based on history, on our metrics, all those things, we had a view around that. And you take that kind of be the, the, the ground, the time zone zero for, for COVID. And um, when we got to March 31st, we look back and we say, wow, 
our close rates were not as expected. So the upgrades we got were lower than we would have expected. And the churn was higher than we would have expected, you know, in the last couple of weeks of the quarter. Uh, and so, you know, there was an impact on both, uh, you know, the up, upgrades and uh, new, new business as well as churn that I think, you know, we can reasonably say that was attributable to, to the, the shelter in place, the macro situation, et cetera. And um, so as we look forward, you know, we're trying to assess how is that going to play out now over the next next quarter, next couple quarters. There are certainly some industries where it's an advantage. You know, there's been an uptick in in a tailwind to, to what's going on. We have companies in the you know, video streaming, um, video conferencing, gaming, things like that that are you know seeing a groundswell at, at even more robust demand, and that translates into you know coming to us and, and needing more monitoring. Um, on the other hand, that's a pretty small segment of the of the overall business environment, right? We've on the other hand, we've seen businesses in the travel business, airlines, hotels, uh, you know, travel services that have seen their revenue drop eighty percent, and uh, you know, those customers are having a tough time. They're they're obviously you know, one airline said to us, we, "Our planes are grounded, and we're not. No one's coming to our website. We don't really care if our systems are running, right?" And it's you know it's tough to argue with that. Of course, they're they're looking at, at just such a dramatic shift in their business, um, and and then you've got all the folks in the middle who are who are just trying to assess where things are going to shake out. And I think for them, it's it's on on the whole they're looking at a very different environment now than they were looking at a year uh, uh, three months ago, where you know unemployment's high, the economy is, you know sales are down. People are people are worried and they're uncertain, and I think that uncertainty trans, trans to, translates to caution and spending. So they're looking at their spending and saying, "What are we going to be doing? Um, you know, how much should we be spending? Uh, you know." And then I guess the, the the one other counterpoint to that is the digital, you know, the digital view that people are moving digital. People are, uh, you know, going to be you know, the the narrative of well, everyone's going online. People are going to be more focused on the digitalization of their business. A move to the cloud, things like that. And I think there's something to that. On the other hand, I, I don't know of a business that wasn't thinking about moving to the cloud six months ago, wasn't thinking about their digital business and how critical software was to their business six months ago. So this this has been a trend that's been going and going and going for a number of years now and is going to continue going as we go forward. Is it hastened a little bit? It may be. Um, yeah, and you know, people may realize that there's a little more urgency around that. On the other hand, they have spending constraints because of the macro environment. So, I guess all I, a lot of words to say. Um, you know, I view it as you know, some some small section of the of the you know population is improved, a tailwind, a big headwind for for some impact heavily impacted industries, and then a general net negative for the you know, the, the, the bulk in the middle. Sure. No, appreciate the summary there. I was just curious. I mean, are you seeing any um, opportunities to maybe utilize uh, new Relux technology in a new direction, specifically in this, you know, working from home environment um, rather than, you know, monitoring the performance of customer facing applications, for example, you know, monitoring the employee experience or are there any sort of use cases uh, emerging out of this? You know, it's, it's interesting. We, um, you know, our platform is programmable. 
And so people can write applications on top of the New Relic platform. So they, we collect all this data, it's in one database, and then our customers can write applications to visualize that data or bring other business data into it. And, and, um, you know, and we have seen some you know, pretty interesting applications that our customers are written around, around that. Um, you know, I, I won't get into, into details around them, but, uh, but, you know, some, some retailers who, who have, uh, you know, uh, you know, many locations, things like that, looking at getting a better, more granular look at their business as, as, uh, across the country, as different places have different shelter in place rules and different states have different guidelines, things like that, and looking at their business in a real time basis, um, basically in different geos and what's selling and, you know, just looking at their overall activity in those retail establishments. And, um, you know, so we've seen, we've seen some customers do some interesting things with, with our data. Uh, and that's always great. And customers who are writing applications on top of our platform, you know, that's, that's, those are our most mature customers and probably the stickiest. So we like to see that, uh, you know, but, but we haven't, um, you know, we haven't necessarily seen any, any direct, direct revenue opportunity from uh from the from the situation right interesting okay so you talked about uh platform adoption a moment ago it's been i think a year now since the launch of new relic one so can you just maybe just talk about um where are you in terms of do customers really understand the true value proposition of, of everything that this platform can do are you still um, educating them on some of the Capabilities. I mean, where do where do things stand on that? On just the overall, you know, knowledge of and awareness of New Relic One at this point. So we're we're making progress, but I think still, I still think we have a ways to go. Uh, you know, the fact that thirty percent of our customers are now have the platform, I think they'll very quickly. Some of those already see the benefits. Others will see them as they as they start using the platform. Uh, and and it is truly one of those things where. Uh, it's hard to describe, but once you get used to it, you have the aha moment of, wow, this is great. And I mean, it, it, you think about it, people are very used to thinking the world as application tools, uh, you know, application monitoring, infrastructure monitoring, log management, as all being separate. And at the very least, you're clicking to another tab to, oh, I want to look at the infrastructure now. So you look at another tab. Oh, I, I better look at the logs. So you click to another tab. And, and, you know, an integrated experience like you can get from New Relic One where you're just seeing all that in one UI and you scroll over something and the logs that are related to that incident show up. Um, you know, it's just a cleaner experience that is easier to understand and it really flows. And you don't even, you don't consciously say, oh, now I'm going to check my, my infrastructure data or now I'm going to check my log data or application data. It's all just there. And I think once you start getting used to that, you realize how much better it can be than the old way of doing things, that the products weren't the same. They weren't different companies providing that information, but it was still kind of a different product. And so I do think as more and more people use it, more and more people are going to become familiar with it and start to embrace it and realize, and, and soon they'll start to expect that. Um, but it's still relatively early. Uh, you know, the good thing is a lot of our customers now are coming in looking for logs, looking for infrastructure, um, looking for traces and all these other things. And when they use those products, our newer products, they're automatically in the New Relic One infra uh, interface. 
We also have made the New Relic Blender interface the default. So when you log on today, to, if you log on today and say, I want to like, try New Relic, you'll get the New Relic 1 interface. So I think we're pushing that out and it'll become more prevalent. But we still have plenty of customers who, you know, they don't like their cheese move. They've been using the old uh, APM UI for, for three years and, and they're going to keep doing it. Um, so I think we're making progress, but we have a ways to go. Uh, better progress in terms of getting people to understand what New Relic 1 is, but I think there's a lag between when they start understand what it is and when they're using it and really benefit, you know, get those that visceral reaction to, wow, yeah, no, this, is, this is a better experience. Sure, no, I appreciate that perspective. So just to follow up on that, I, Lou hinted at something during the earnings call, which was just the power of the underlying uh, NRG. Um, you know, it sounds like I know there's sort of a more of a pivot in terms of the, the marketing message around the capabilities, but maybe for those less familiar, I mean, what, what makes your database um, so special that really underlies this, uh, this whole platform? So the NRDB, the, the New Relic database, um, was proprietary. It was built from the ground up a uh, number of years ago uh, for just this use, for this use case that we're using it for. And it, it is a multi-tenant database where we put everything we collect into it. So metrics, logs, events, traces, all that data goes into this one database. And it's not indexed. All the data goes in there. You can query it and get millisecond response times for any query for, you know, for, and, and this is, this is, we're searching just unbelievable amounts of data and getting response times that are quick. And you don't need to know the question in advance, right? You don't need to know, oh, I, you know, I, I wonder if I filtered by zip code. Oh, but I forgot to index by zip code. You can just add an ad hoc, add, ask ad hoc queries and get a response time. And the performance and the scalability of it are, are you know, really unparalleled because of its multi-tenancy, right? We're not spinning up a new new instance for individual customers, uh, which we'd have to do in a single tenant uh, database. And so um, that gives it a lot of advantages. And and having all this data in one place, you know, allows you to query it much more effectively than if you have, you know, the logs over here and the APM data over here, the infrastructure over there, et cetera. The other aspect to it is this programmability aspect. You can write applications on top of uh, on top of this database through Neuralic One, and so you know from a visualization standpoint, or uh, you know from a, a you know as I said, collecting other business metrics, combining the business and performance data in one place, you can write applications that do that. And we think that is that also is something that you know customers will really really embrace. Right. No, I appreciate that. So. Actually, I wanted to touch a bit on the programmability aspect of things. Um, are there any metrics that you can share in terms of just the customer engagement there? Um, it's sort of part one. And, and then the, the second question is, just my understanding is that there isn't a direct monetization opportunity around the apps. So I assume this is sort of just broader engagement and making this platform stickier. Is that the right way to think about that? Yeah, exactly. Um, so we haven't shared uh, data around how many apps are or have been written, things like that. But our most, when, when you look at our customer maturity, 
you know, the most mature customers are the ones that are using the full platform. You know, how many how many people are using it? How broadly is it deployed? How many products are using? Are they full, using the full platform? And then the ultimate uh, level of maturity would be have they written apps on top of it? Do they have some some um, you know custom apps built on top of it? Because once they do that, they are very sticky. And so the 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 monetization strategy around that is basically first for renewals from a stickiness standpoint, and then also from a usage standpoint and um, a deployment standpoint. The more they do that, the more they realize they can do that, the more data gets put into NRDB. And then again, it just perpetuates the more people are using it and the more critical we become in the organization uh, and the more value we can provide. And so that is a, that is a, you know, a, a, a law, um, it's a it's a way of of getting or getting us more, uh, you know, proliferating more throughout the organization and providing more value. The you know, if you think about where growth for a company like us is going to come, um, sure, you know, we can add more products, but you know, once we get people to the full platform, where is the big growth going to come? The growth is not going to come from charging more per per thing we're managing or monitoring, it's gonna come from managing more stuff and managing a broader swath of the environment. And and so that's what, you know, that's what we're ultimately trying to do is make sure that we're easy to deploy and there's incentive to deploy us as broadly as possible. And that's that'll be that'll be the big driver of growth. Right. No, it makes it makes sense. So I want to shift gears a little bit to sort of follow up on that when you speak about proliferating through organizations. Um, I wanted to touch on competition. You know, for many years, you talked about this being essentially a largely greenfield market opportunity that was all about, you know, capturing new workloads to move into the cloud. I think it's about three quarters ago um, on one of your earnings calls, you know, you, you talked about the market becoming more competitive. It seems from our standpoint, a lot of vendors in the space are kind of increasingly moving towards this platform vision. Um, so what, what's kind of your view of, of the current competitive landscape and, and you know, how things Today. Yeah, it, it, it is there. It's a lot noisier than it used to be. Uh, I think probably Phil said this before, you know, five years ago when we went public, people wondered, um, it's a sleepy space. How big is it going to be? Can you guys ever get to a billion dollars? Um, you know, no one asks us about TAM anymore. Everyone realizes there's a lot of money that's going to be spent here. Uh, and that's inspired a lot of people to come in and say, we do that. We, we do this. We provide the visibility and things. Um, so there's a lot of noise in the environment in terms of who we actually see from a day-to-day -day standpoint it hasn't changed that much um, there's still a lot of greenfield uh, a lot of our a lot of our I would say most of our business is still um, greenfield activity who when we do see folks uh, we see Dynatrace occasionally um, not a ton but you know at the higher end we'll, we'll bump into them uh, we'll see Datadog uh, in, uh, in, you know, a lot of times in smaller accounts, but, you know, particularly on the infrastructure side. Um, and, and we'll, we coexist with these companies, uh, uh quite a bit. Um, and a lot of accounts will have, have multiple, multiple vendors. Um, and, and so I would say those are the, those are the ones we see most often, but I think people have this, as soon as you mention competition or competition is getting, uh, you know, is increasing, you have a vision of, of you know, people going in, these head-to-head -head bake offs and, oh, we're going to kick them out. 
and there's just not a lot of that that goes on, I guess. You know, I think when we go into an account, sure, you know, we could come up with examples where we displaced X, Y, Z. They could come up with examples they displaced us. But that's not really, the, I think, the, the core of it. Not that maybe people are coming in and saying, I'm going to dump the existing tools I have. Developers, obviously, you can't use them anymore. It's mostly about where the growth is coming forward. So a company spending $5 million today and a million dollars across, you know, five different five different vendors, um, you know, a couple of years from now, they're going to be spending $10 million. Who's going to get that incremental five? Because at that, at that point when they're spending 10, you still have probably four people that are going to be getting over a million. But sure. then who's going to get the bulk of that incremental? And that's what we're, that's what we'd like to go after. And we want to, you know, that's why the platform play where we want to consolidate and get customers driving onto our platform because we think we have a good platform story and we can provide a lot of value there. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for the update there. So uh, switching gears a little bit, you know, about over the last year, you, you brought on a number uh, of new executives. You have a new president, new chief product officer, chief customer officer, I think marketing officer recently. So um, just are, are there any other, uh, you know, changes that you're looking to make would be the first question, or do you feel you have a, a new team in place? And then the second question is, what are you team really based on, um, you know, moving forward? Uh, so we have, we have made a lot of changes over the, um, you know, you look back since, uh, since last October, and, you know, we've introduced, uh, we, the end of September, I guess, we introduced dramatic increase in our product capabilities. Um, and then we've brought on, as you mentioned, Mike Christensen started October 1. Uh, and, you know, the new folks, we're, we're always looking for great talent. Um, so, you know, I, I'll never, we're, we're always hiring. We're always looking to, to improve. And so I'd never say we're, we're done. On the other hand, uh, you know, we've got, um, we've got, the primary spots filled now with uh, with the president, with the CMO starting, um, you know, now and uh, so, and then and then I think Jason and I are coming on heading customer success for us. So I feel like we're we're in great shape. The team is uh, is new, but we're gelling, in, you know, in a in a great way. And so I think there's a lot of excitement and enthusiasm coming coming uh, being brought. You know, it's it's too bad that we're not all together because it's uh you know it, it can't quite get as much enthusiasm over the over the uh, video conferencing. But I, there's just so much energy that people are bringing. Um, Bill Staples and Lou. Bill joined I think Valentine's Day yesterday, so he's been here about two months. Um, he has been. He and Lou are you know spending a ton of time. They have a very common vision. Uh, about where we want to go and where we're headed. And Bill has brought a new sense of urgency, I think, to the product organization. And, you know, they're, they're feeling pretty good. They, they went through a phase, and our product organization went through a phase where we were doing a lot of work behind the scenes. We introduced an availability zone in Europe. We introduced um, – we were doing the, the groundwork for New Relic 1 – we were moving to cellular architecture so we could move to the cloud. A lot of the stuff that our, our reps couldn't take. And, you know, you say that to a customer, the customer's like, eh, what's in it for me? And, and so, and now, now starting last September, we introduced a ton of new, uh, new products, a ton of new features. 
and we've had a pretty steady stream since then, most recently with our AI ops product um, early in, in, in April and then our, our infinite tracing. And so, you know, they're, they're feeling pretty good, I think. And uh, they feel like, all right, we've got, we've got some momentum back and they've got an aggressive roadmap going forward. Bill is certainly driving them. But, uh, you know, I feel like that transition has gone, has gone really well. So it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of new parts of the team. It's a blend of the new and old. But, uh, but I, I really like the, the energy. And, uh, and it feels like, you know, it feels like we're, we're in, a, in, in a, great, a great spot. Well, that's really great to hear. Thanks for that. So speaking of just you know, some of the other refinements that you're working on, I mean, it seems that um, one of them, um, I believe, is around pricing of your platform. You, you talked about running some experiments with, with pricing and different mechanisms because you know, depending on which capability people are using, there's a different um, sort of underlying pricing metric, I believe, that depending on what, what people are looking for. So just describe more broadly, like what, what levers are you pulling uh, these days and, and, and what are you seeing in terms of, you know, uh, behavior from your customers in reaction to that? Yeah, sure. So one of the things we, we've, we've talked about is this, the New Relic Pricing Plan, NRPP, which is an ability for customers to buy our platform. And basically they can commit to a level of spend and they can allocate that spend in any given month over whatever products they want. Next month, it can be different. So they can continually fluctuate how much infrastructure they might use versus APM, depending on their, how their environment's growing, logs, et cetera. And from a customer standpoint, we really find them, them to embrace it. And I, I guess what's not to like? You, you don't have to commit with such uh, precision around how much APM you're going to need, how much of a certain product you're going to need. You're much less worried about shelfware. Everyone hates shelfware or to spend on something they're not using. And then you worry, I, I went over on APM, so now they're going to ask me for more money, even though I'm underusing on this one. Now it's all one pool of funds. They can just go use whatever they want. And so that's something that really uh, customers have embraced. Also, from our standpoint, it allows the customers to use the whole platform, which is, again, a better experience for them, better value to them. So that's something we want to we want to get across in, in in you know whatever we do with pricing we want to make it easier for customers to consume all our products and the full platform. Um, the the number of metrics we have is confusing. Uh, you know the question I get that I hate is oh tell me about your pricing how do you price and all of a sudden it's oh we price this product on this this price on that and it's confusing and it's confusing for me it's confusing for our reps it's confusing for our customers. You know, we want to get to the point where customers, it's understandable, it's simple, it's understandable, and it, they can relate it to the value that they receive. Right now, you know, we'll say you're paying this much for an infrastructure host monitoring, this much for an APM host monitoring. It's more than infrastructure. but And why? Well, because it's more complicated. You know, it's like, how do I, how do I even or attribute value to those two? And why are the prices what they are? You know, something that makes it easier for customers to say, here's what I'm paying for here's what I'm getting. You know, when we talk to customers, they all complain about the uh, lament, the fact that they have so many monitoring tools. Um, and, but it, it's less the price they're paying, you know, that the check they're writing and the amount of money they're spending, it's more that the management overhead, they don't work together. It's just the coordination between them. It's sort of, why can't, why can't this all be consolidated? And so I think it's less, it's less about the dollars they spend 
to vendors and more about the fact that it's not delivering the value they need, which is a streamlined environment where they can make decisions faster, they can solve problems quicker, they can fix problems, you know, with less downtime. And if you can give them that, that's what they want. And they're willing to pay for that. What they don't like paying is paying 20 different vendors and then having everyone in a room pointing fingers saying, that's not, you know, what's your data say? My data says, you know, that's the thing that's frustrating. And so, you know, we want to, we want to help them, help them through that and help them understand that here's what they're paying and here's the value they're getting. Right. Got it. Um, no, that's helpful. And then I think the other, one of the other things I noticed that was new is you've introduced a, uh, seems like a refinement to, to a partner network. So I was wondering if you could just talk about, you know, what types of partners do you think can be helpful for you and, and maybe who, who, who you think can move the needle for you moving forward? Yeah, so um, so we've been, you know, we've been continually working on our, on our part network and, and working to, um, to expand the, the number of folks that we work with uh, in some kind of partner relationship. Uh, the reality is today we do almost all our selling direct. Um, and even when in our partners that are resale partners, we do most of the, of the work in terms of finding the lead and doing the, the selling. Um, and so we'd like to get some more leverage through, through partners. And, and that includes, um, that includes continuing doing those type of relationships where it's influencers, where we have partners who, you know, we'll do a lot of the work, but maybe they find us leads or they'll help us on the sale. Um, and so I think that's what we're looking at to, for in the early stages is, is less, you know, true resale deals as versus companies that can influence their customers to bring us on uh, and, and bring us and getting us involved and get in situations in which we'll still go and be heavily engaged and, and do a lot of the, the heavy lifting of the, of the sale process. Um, ultimately, we'd love to get to a point where we have, you know, customers that are, are reselling us. Uh, but I think that's probably further on down the line. Um, the cloud vendors, another, another example of a place where we, we you know, we want to, we have good relationships with AWS. That's where we spent most of our time to date. But we need to improve our, our relationships with uh, with Azure, uh, Google, and um, in particular to to you know get get into their marketplaces. We're in the AWS marketplace, but you know get in get into broader set of marketplaces and and make it easy for customers to just you know add us onto their into their cloud environment. You know with with sort of a one click type approach. Um, so we're working on that. We've ex expanded the team a little bit. Um, and I think it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's probably gonna be a while before we have, you know, global SI sort of relationships, but, but in the meantime, you know, more SIs that are more focused on cloud migrations, things like that, establish better relationships with them where they can, we can go in and in, in together with, uh, or they can bring us in or we can go in jointly to, to their customer engagements, things like that. Right. Okay, great. Well, look forward to hearing more about that moving forward then. And then that's just want to segue more broadly into your, your go-to-market strategy. You've outlined a plan to, you know, it seems one of the key areas of focus is to drive more spend with your existing customers. So I wanted to just sort of, if you could share some of the specific tactics that you're utilizing to drive that, I guess, is it, is, is the key really platform adoption? 
and the related question is, is when you think about the different offerings that comprise your platform, for example, is, is the person who purchases APM the same buyer who might purchase the infrastructure and logs or, or how, how are you sort of, uh, you know, uh, navigating that, that landscape? Yeah, so the, um, a big part of it is platform adoption, and that has a number, a number of different angles to it. Um, you know, we, we feel like once customers do adopt the platform, their spend does tend to expand. Um, and the more data we put in there, the more users we have, right? The more people are going to be looking at that data and the more users, the more user environment that tends to get more data. Um, and, and so that's a self-fulfilling cycle there. And, and, uh, and so the platform adoption is, is a big part of it. We want to get customers focused on bringing all their data into our database. And um, now when you look at, when you think about going to market, not that many people today are saying, oh, wow, I need observability. Like you don't have practitioners saying, oh my gosh, I need observability into my, people say, I need an APM solution. I need the infrastructure solution. I need a logging solution like that. And so you've got to be able to address those needs and address those use cases um, but when they deploy to meet those use case, the use case they're desiring to, to understand, they get a broader set of visibility. So, you know, when, when right now, if you come and you say you want New Relic APM, you're going to get New Relic's APM product. Imagine instead, if you said, I want New Relic APM, you got the whole observability platform. And sure, you may just, you may be most interested in the APM, but part of your job and part of what your tasks you're doing are going to be made easier by the fact that you have logs in context as part of that, that APM product. You didn't ask for logs, but it's going to be a much better experience. And you didn't ask for infrastructure, but the fact that you can see that is going to help you solve the problem you're trying to solve. Just like if you're working on infrastructure, I want an infrastructure monitoring tool. You deploy New Relic what you think is New Relic infrastructure, or you deploy New Relic to solve your infrastructure problem, and you get... APM and you get the full platform, you're going to be able to solve that problem more effectively than if you just got an infrastructure pro uh, product. So we want to make that, you know, and over time, I think, you know, you look out a number of years from now, people are going to wonder why were these different disciplines? It's, you know, I, I need visibility into making, make sure, making my, my environment run well. And it's going to be, okay, I just download this and I get to see everything. You know, we want to, we think that's the way the world's going. We want to start that trend by offering people a full platform, but we recognize that, you know, that's not today what customers are asking for. They're asking for, you know, uh, they have a problem to solve. They need, a, they need a way to solve that problem. We just want to make it, once they do, make it a better experience. Right. Okay. No, that, that, that's helpful. Thanks. So we, we got about five minutes left, so I wanted to ask a, a couple more uh, financial questions, if I may. You know, the first is just, you know, Mark, how, how are you thinking about um, you know, uses of cash on the balance sheet? You, you, you talked about investing in the business in order to uh, accelerate growth. That's, I think you've got about $800 million or so in cash. Um, so should we be, and historically, we've done a couple of tuck-in M&A type of deals. Um, what, should we be, what should we be expecting moving forward? I, I think it's it's similar to what we've how we've been operating in the past. Uh, you know, times like this, it's nice to have a strong balance sheet. We're very pleased with that. Uh, cash flow positive the last few years, so we've got uh, we've we've got a lot of strength there. Uh, we are going to be investing in the business. Um, 
we put together an investment plan as, as we were doing the planning for fiscal 21, starting on April 1st. And we're going to operate toward that plan. We're not scaling back. We feel like we have a good opportunity ahead of us. We're going to continue to invest for growth. You know, we want to reaccelerate our top line, and and we feel like we have an opportunity to do that. So we're going to invest to to achieve that goal. Uh, in terms of acquisitions, um, I, I think the, the the sweet spot for us is the smaller technology type acquisitions, maybe small teams of people. Uh, you know, kind of. Uh, you know, we've done a couple of these, and my guess is as we go forward now and the funding environment changes, there may be some more of these that are looking for a home. You know, you can get a, a, just a, a super talented group of people that has some great technology, but they realize, wow, it's just it's not going to make it in terms of on our own going to, to market. Uh, and so I could see us pursuing, continuing to pursue those type of, uh, of deals. I think it's it's unlikely, I would say, for us to you know to acquire business, right? Uh, you know, in the in the near term, um, you know, we feel like we have what we need from a go-to-market standpoint, and that would be that would be pretty disruptive, disruptive, given uh, all we're going through. But uh, but we you know we always keep keep our eyes open. Okay, great. And then I just wanted to touch, um, you know, we've gotten some questions uh, since you reported just about your guidance and you know from the most recent quarter. So. Maybe sort of a two-part question. One, because you took a different approach to guidance than you historically have done, um, at least over the last few years you've been public, um, how do you think about, call it, you know, sources of upside uh, versus downside risk to, to your fiscal 1Q guidance? And then the second question is, how do you think about billings these days? Because I felt like historically it, it wasn't a great indicator. It actually has been trending to become more of a relevant indicator given your increasingly enterprise focus, but now I wonder if billings is effectively going to become less relevant because of some of the payment term changes that your customers have alluded to. So how do we think about the you net, net the effect of all these um, factors in, into your guidance? Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so on the first one, in terms of in terms of guidance, yeah, we we unfortunately, given the uncertainty around the rest of the year of the macro situation, uh, we did not give guidance for the full year. So we gave guidance for this quarter, uh, you, know, you know, top line, bottom line, ARR, um, and you know, we we took a, a you know a approach of of you know, it's it's uns we have there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, we we see downgrades um, or you know churn is is elevated uh, has been uh, and starting in mid March and then even in the first part of this quarter um, we saw close rates take a dip in the last couple of weeks of March uh, we typically don't do much business in the beginning of April and or April and beginning of May uh, as the first part of our, our our fiscal year so we don't have a lot to go on the top line so. Um, you know, we we have a good pipeline and that continues to grow. But what what sort of what's going to happen to close rates as we go into June? Uh, there's some uncertainty there. If if close rates uh, top what we think or better than we think, you know, that would provide some upside. Um, you know, and on, if they're if they are are below what we expect, obviously that would not be good. And then on the on the churn front, most of our renewals come in in June. And you know what are those customers going to be doing? I think the customers who are heavily impacted, I think they have generally worked them through the, we've worked them through the system. But in June, we've got a bunch of renewals coming up. 
and where are those customers going to be in terms of their appetite to renew at the at the same level, expand their usage, et cetera. Uh, I think there's there's a lot of uncertainty around that given the macro situation. And so, um, you know, and depending if that's better or worse than we expect, obviously that would have an impact on on a rural overall number. Um, excuse me. Uh, and then second question on billings. Yeah, you know, we always have proclaimed that billings is not a great indicator, as you know. Uh, it has been getting better, a better to be a better indicator. Um, and this, you're absolutely right. This is going to throw a big wrench into it, I think. Um, as customers go in and, and are reluctant to commit to a year up front, they're looking at preserving cash. We have customers coming to us saying we're going to pay, um, we're going to pay quarterly. We had customers that signed an agreement on March 31st and on April 6th called us and said, I, sorry, I can't pay up front. I got to pay quarterly. And, you know, and look what happened to my business. And so, um, I think that that is going to be the case in, at the very least Q1, uh, and and because of that impact, I think you have you have uh, billings are going to going to diverge a bit again from the true, you know, nature of how the business is doing. We now provide ARR, so you know we'll be providing our actual you know ARR at the end of June, so people see how much new ARR we add in the quarter, and at the end of the day, that's fundamentally. Uh, you know how we judge our business, which is how much how much ARR do we have, um, and that's the best indicator of of you know your next twelve months. Uh, you know much more so than than billings or bookings or any others. Gotcha. Okay. Well, thank you. I believe we are uh, out of time. Uh, so thank you very much for, for joining us today, Mark.